Did you guys see the XF tool uh, code execution POC? Oh my god! Really? Crap. Oh yeah. Like virus total, like all these different places that do XF data using XF tool, and like you upload a just a JPEG, and you get you get callbacks, and it's fantastic. I'm at, where the hell is this? Because I'm googling XF code execution. Because that's bad. Is that in one specific library? Remote code execution. It's in the tool, it's in the tool itself. Oh, no. So, we're live, by the way, everybody. Okay. Oh, We got sidetracked sorry. by remote code execution. Jeez. It's fantastic. I have, I have a, like a little malware research lab thing that I have I ha- uh, with Cuckoo. And it has XF tool in it. It runs through a bunch of checks. And so I uploaded a basic example for this. And it, it absolutely ran. So it was fantastic. Oh my god. I love the example. PHP system, netcat, your IP, your IP port, execute bin bash. It's like oh, oh right? my god. <laughs> I didn't know it was in the so are they gonna patch this or are they like now nah, it's a feature? Yeah, it's patched in twelve twenty four, twelve dot twenty four, okay. but like That's nobody's cool. gonna update this tool. Right? Like well, it's just it's built so into deep. so many things. Right. Let's go ahead and start the show, and let's start on this one, because this is geeky. Let's, let's kick it off, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of BHIS Talking About News. This is the new show where we try to talk about computer security and do our damn best to avoid talking about ransomware as much as we possibly can. This particular episode, I am joined by a cast of characters, some of which you have not seen before, but you will be seeing a lot more of them in the future. As always, we're joined by Ryan, um, who I'm still desperately waiting for him to screw up so I can give him a hard time. But uh, we wait. We still wait. I'm also joined by Dale Hobbs, who I've known for a long time and finally joined BHIS in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Noah, you might know him as Monopixel on the Discord channel. He's one of the uh, nerd herders that has been uh, picked up by BHIS because he's been awesome in the community. Jeff Wright, who I can say without question is one of the most obsessive compulsive hackers I've ever met in my entire life. The dude does not let stuff go. He also joined Black Hills Information Security in the past couple of weeks. We have Rob, of course, whose cameras are not working because that's just the way. Too, the tech- too technology many video works. calls today. Too that's many video just what calls. It is. And we're also blaming it on micrometeorites, possibly interfering with the satellites as well. And as always, the co-host Ralph jumped in. So, how's everybody doing? Fabulous. Good. Amazing. Amazing. Monday. It's just another manic Monday. All right. That's the song. Uh, so, so Rob, you were you were talking about this new EXIF vulnerability that popped up. For those of you that don't know, EXIF allows you to read metadata inside of files and things like that, which is pretty <laughs> cool. And we used it for years in Recon, where you could pull down files and you could see who wrote it, what was the software version. And you could do a ton of like recon by pulling down it's files. Easy. Well, it turns out there's actually a vulnerability in that specific tool. So, Rob, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Sure. So, XIF is is literally the the data 
inside of images, right? The extra interfacial information. And XF tool is a widely used tool as well. I think it's also a library that tons and tons of websites use. It's the, you know, the de facto use case for getting XF data out of an image. And so there was an RCE posted, and I think that's actually the wrong link. That looks like it's 2020. I think this one's from yesterday. Uh, this is last year's. Yeah. Wow. So this is when I was uh, getting... Oh, I see your uh, Mubix has one. Mubix has I see the, the new patch. link. Uh, got that. There yeah. we go. So that's the uh, patch. Yeah. Um, and it was... It was we're not. <laughs> we're screwed. <laughs> there's no patch for it. <laughs> there's, there's no patch. We're, we're done. It's 404. Four, patch on We'll get there. So, all right, keep going, so anyways, um, So the interesting thing about this is that because it's used everywhere and because, it, you know, XIF is a publicly available tool, all of the code is just directly there. So as you can see inside of the, uh, it's probably too hard to read. Anyways, the patch changes and escapes certain types of characters inside of your EXIF data. And the nice thing or the interesting thing about this is if, if I upload a, a, a image with this, with, you know, breaking some of these, these uh, escape characters, then I can execute code inside of the EXIF tool. And I mean, this thing is used in, in virus total, you know, Imgur, like all, all of like tons of publicly available websites and so this is this is a critical vulnerability for anyone using it and one of the problems is that like many times you might not know that you're using it like uh cuckoo my version of cuckoo has exif tool in it that runs and i tested this poc out that i'll see if i can get a link to it later but the the poc just pops calc inside of my virtual machine not i'm saying outside of my virtual machine right so it on the host itself where i'm running VirtualBox, it pops up calc because it's pulling out the images of the, of what gets dropped by my malware and and pulling out exif data to load it like this thing is super super awesome so and i, and I think that a lot of people kind of need a you know, a little bit more background on why this is so bad. This is actually a type of, believe it or not, this is kind of a supply chain attack. You know, whenever you talk about things like solar oh, yeah, winds and how big it, what, big it was into organizations and things like that. When you're starting to look at these open source tools, there's a ton of commercial tools that utilize these open source tools inside of their technology stack. Because it's easier just to pull an open source project, incorporate it in your tool, and then you have it, it built in to your commercial tool. So when Rob said, we won't see the end of this for a while, he's absolutely correct because this is embedded in so many things. And unfortunately, a lot of those things are security tools. Uh, so this is going <laughs> to be, right. this is going to be a gift that keeps giving for a while. And there's many times that you won't even know that it's being used. If there's an icon or avatar that you can upload your image for, just like Image Magic or whatever it was called, Mag Image Magic. Magic, yeah. The the exploit that's still out there. Like you can still find people using old versions of Image Magic, and and get a one other note, one side note to this is if you are avid CTF player, be careful because oh. XF Tool is <laughs> things that many 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 CTF players use to find data inside of images. And I would also go so far as if you're a lethal forensicator, as the Sands Institute likes oh, to call people that do forensics. Blake has been pointing out in YouTube 
that there's a large number of tools from SleuthKit and Autopsy and all these different things that are reading in this metadata from these files. And a lot of those tools may be using the XF Toolkit for that as well. So the reason why that matters is because if you're doing forensics on something and it's part of a case and you get in front of a judge and a jury and the software version that you were using was out of date and say it had a vulnerability where someone could take over your forensics workstation, that could definitely impact your actual court case. So just double check and patch your stuff as much as you can. That's a, that's a great thought too. Like, can you imagine just dropping this in one of your folders and <laughs> like in case popping calc, like your, your case is going to be, uh, and how do you patch in case, right? Uh, oh well, my gosh. That just, well, but you, you, I think we, you and I have talked about this extensively, like in case and FTK, they used to be relatively lightweight, small programs. And now it's like multiple gigs of files that you got to download. It's yeah. getting harder and harder to actually, uh, harder and harder to actually like patch and update those things. Blake also brought up, you know, wonder if it can affect previously closed, closed cases. From this particular post on our NetSec, it doesn't sound like it was something they found being exploited in the wild. It sounds like it was found by a security researcher. I don't think there's any indication yeah. yet that this has been used in a while. Is that correct? Yeah, not as far as I can see. It was reported, if I remember correctly, through HackerOne and finally on the tool itself. So like, I don't think it was publicly out there, at least not that I know of other than on NetSec. Yeah, it's going to be in public soon. Yeah, yeah so, so it's, what it's, I'm hearing... If I was able to create a POC out of it, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so what I'm hearing is if you want to make it a really fun time for anyone who may be doing some sort of forensics on your cell phone at some point, you should download the Signal app with the Landmind Solubrite exploit and then put pictures with Jeez. remote code execution to wipe <laughs> any host computer it's still early in the week, into though. your thing so that if anyone tries to do any forensics whatsoever, it's just going to nuke that system. That's what I'm oh. hearing. Wow. That, that was dark. You want, yeah, right. <laughs> you want to talk, if you want to talk anti-forensics, oh man, what's his name? Crap. He does hardware. Um, he's uh, braids. Anyways, there was a gentleman who is an amazing, amazing. He does the the Bible, the Ponda, or anyways. Anyways, he gave a talk. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what's this guy's name it, like, he, did, he did the um like poc or or gtfo he's the original author of that the bible curator okay. yep. yeah anyways he gave a talk at i think SciScan back in 2010 and it was surrounding anti-forensics and one of the most amazing anti-forensics <laughs> that i actually got a chance to try out um, on myself was um, the the he created with his J not Jtagulator with a uh, uh, a piece of hardware that he creates where he rewrites the firmware on a SATA controller and what it does is when you read all randomly it works just fine like normally a hard drive because a hard drive never reads in sequence it reads randomly. It operates just fine. And what he did was um, if it, if the controller sees sequential reads for more than X number of bytes, it would start outputting smiley faces <laughs> for every nice. single byte. I love and it. so the crazy thing is, like, 
his hard drive just works normally every day. But if you pull it out and put it in a forensics machine where it reads start to finish, it starts doing smiley faces after like the first meg. So all you get as a forensics. And the thing is like this, the SATA controller is not something you can easily replace because it's attached to the drive itself. And it knows all of the, like the turns and everything. So if you talk to anyone in forensics to be able to replace the controller that's on the drive, the little, you know, piece of, you know, PVC or whatever it is like the, Anyways, I'm having troubles with words today. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I think it's we still get I, the idea. Yeah. You know, that whole idea of whenever you start seeing reads at a certain point, basically printing garbage. I don't know if anybody remembers, Jamie Butler released a tool, uh, Black Hat, over a decade ago called Shadow Walker. And the way Shadow Walker worked is you would install it into a system. And as soon as it saw sequential memory reads coming across the system, it would, or sorry, sequential memory reads coming off of memory, it would page the malware out of active memory, drop it to the disk, and then basically have it marked to be read back in at a certain time frame. So you could literally just have your malware basically step out of memory and then come back in after the memory read came out. So, you know, like those types of anti-forensics techniques are always like really scary, but the thing that sucks about them is you keep on having people say, but this has never been witnessed in the wild. <laughs> How many forensics engineers would actually be able to deal with something, right? Like your SATA drive doing that, or, I mean, smiley faces would be pretty obvious, but um, but like that memory cool. read, pulling it out. It's like at the end of all these presentations, like, no, we've never seen this in the wild. I'm like, that's probably because it's freaking hard to detect, <laughs> much more so than it just not being used, but who knows. I, so what he said, what I what I talked to uh, the a couple of forensics guys about this about this attack right and what they said is unless I know it's there unless I am ready for it like there's no way I can get around it because what it's doing is it's outputting mm-hmm. smiley faces and writing to the disk smiley faces so it's zeroing out the disk <laughs> just reading it in so like you have to be ready for that type of attack before like and it's too much work too right. Absolutely, and, and I think his talk actually pushed in case and other large forensic toolkits to stop reading start to finish. They started jumping around more. I think <laughs> change it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I-, I wonder how many sites are using XF tool in the background to process images. Right to to do you mean that. web? Yeah, oh, you websites. mean like, but, but also websites, but web scrapers too. Yeah, yeah. Think about that. So. I just wonder how many are in the background running this as like some kind of process to clean up the data on these images or I, to extract I would, it. I mean, like it could be mind blowing. I mean, there's Facebook. I don't know. I would say almost anything that is reading and processing meta, metadata. I mean, this is like the main framework that's used across the industry. It's kind of like SSL for metadata extraction, right? I mean. There were tools like MetaGoofill and things like that, but this is the tool that you see used all the time. When you submit a photo now, most of the bigger sites, they'll strip the metadata from the images because people were going around and getting the original image and then looking at the metadata and be like, oh, look, now I know where you live, right? So yeah. I, I wonder if, you know, there's not a bunch of sites that are already vulnerable to this because of the version. I, I mean, I don't know if you probably, if you're Facebook, hopefully you've decided to upgrade quickly, but 
you know, that's what you're using. Yeah, absolutely. Or running it in a virtual machine or some like really kind of isolated Docker process. But, you know? but Rob just said, I don't, I'm going to have to look at this. Rob, let me clarify. I want to repeat back what you told me. Because you said that you ran this in a virtual machine in virtual virtual box, and it popped a calculator on your host. Right. Is, so is that what I hear that right? What was happening? Just to make sure, uh, uh, I have a custom version of Cuckoo. What I what it does is it sees oh. all of the files that get written to disk, right? Oh, no. And if it is an image, it pulls out the EXIF data, oh, and no, it's no, running no. EXIF tool on my host. Instead of in the image. <laughs> no, no. So, it's, okay. It's a so, feature. But that setup, Rob, that setup is actually very similar to what a lot of vendors are doing. Like, if you look at what FireEye is doing, they're using a modified version of QMU to actually do virtualization for processing things. And they do something very similar where, where they run it inside of the virtual machine and then they pull the files out to do additional analysis as they Exactly, because it's the quote-unquote safer <laughs> route, right? It is, because if I was running inside where the malware is running, the malware can modify what I'm, what I'm looking at, right? Or the yeah. tools so that I'm looking out. at, right? Yeah, so you the pull data. it out and then anal- uh, analyze it, right? Oh, this is going to be one of those anti-buster moments. We're going to need a VM for the VM, you know, like three layers yeah. deep here. Yeah. <laughs> Until they th- I, figure I, that one out, then you need this four. Is, this one's going to get, I think this one's going to get shoved under the rug. I think this is one of those things where like you sit around and you talk about it. This is like at cons. If we were all together, we'd be talking about this going, oh my God, this is horrible. This is horrible. Everyone would take a couple of drinks and be like, well, that's going to suck. And then we just move on <laughs> and we don't think about it for years. Until it actually hits something like a FireEye or a very large forensics vendor. And like, well, they were actually warned about this vulnerability like a half a decade ago. Because that's, that's how I see this one going. Is it's like, this is scary. But as Rob mentioned, a lot of people don't even know that they're running it. A lot of vendors don't even know that they're running it. A developer threw it in and no one's really watching this crap. So, all right, let's keep going. So It was yeah. free. Open source. It yeah. works great. It was I mean, like... I got it from GitHub so I can run it for free, right? So yes. yeah, I mean, all code on GitHub is security checked. It's good. Multiple you can see the code. It does. It does. Yep. If you know that they have any natural or they have any image processing or file processing, because it's not just images, right? Yeah, you could definitely try to launch this as an attack. Imagine a metadata sandbox detonation. Yeah, that's kind of where we're <laughs> headed, right? Because, oh my god. All right, let's keep moving. <laughs> Do we want to uh, talk about Ryan? Can we bring up the deep fake thing? Yeah, let me find that one. Uh-oh, okay. this sounds AI-ish. It is AI-ish. This, yeah. this scares me, and this is something that we, we talked about in one of the earlier shows, and I talked about it on Enterprise Security Weekly and things like that. But the whole idea is and you have email compromise, business email compromise, where somebody spoofs an email from an executive saying, I need you to transfer money right away, and that's hitting companies right now. But imagine if you got a video call, right? Like you got a Teams video call or you got a Skype, video call or you know go to webinar or zoom or whatever and on the other side is like your boss's boss's boss demanding you to do something <laughs> right now and it's all a deep fake video and apparently this is one of those things where you know we talk about threat intelligence feeds where a bunch of these different ransomware and different organized crime syndicates are actively talking about what tools are better for doing these types of things on the fly so this is, you know, talking about it, what they call it, synthetic identity fraud. Oh, dear God. Where, how the hell, what, 
So Ryan, you're an expert on this. You want to talk a little bit about how you can tell that, you know, something's been messed up because of the pixels? Well, uh, I, I know from Photoshop files that um, you there are ways to, to look at... Um, I should probably make myself bigger because, yay, I can. And uh, there are ways to look at a, a photo. And even though you may not be able to tell by your eye that it's been altered by Photoshop or some other software... There is a way to figure it out because, of course, nothing with computers are completely random. It's synthetic random, so there's always some sort of a pattern in the way the bits are making up that image. So, in in theory, you could figure out, in my theory anyway, I haven't really seen any anything like this across the web, but you'd have to have something like that that analyzes the video to be able to tell, is this synthetic or is this a real face? So it's almost like you'd need to have a plugin that could go into Zoom or Teams or something <laughs> that could give you a warning yeah. and be like, this is currently, you know, deep it's, it's fake like when you detection. get an email and you have to scan the attachment file first before you can look at it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So whenever we're, whenever we're, how do, the, how do we deal with this in security? Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, is, are these pre-recorded like, videos that they play for? Or are they interactive in the sense you could actually have a conversation with one of these? So there's two types, right? So you actually yeah. see deep fakes right now, and you see it all the time, where they put like Nicolas Cage's face on on Yoda, and it looks really good. And you know th- we're we're seeing that as far as videos and things like that. But a lot of that technology is basically like last year's or the year before's technology for a lot of the videos that you see that are demonstrating that type of capability. If you look at some of the newer technologies that's been showing up, stuff that's running with like a supercomputer cluster and lots and lots and lots of GPUs, I've seen examples where people can take pictures from like the 30s and then they can basically make that picture animated and then someone can talk and interact and it changes the picture more or less real time. There may be a slight bit of hesitancy, but it's basically getting to the point where this is no longer just processing but actually getting to the point where it's processing close to real time. There, there is an open source project. I just posted it there in the chat to do just this right for <laughs> zoom bombing and it will do it in real time. So supposedly, yeah. you know, it will take that face and you can have a live conversation and, you know, pretend to be that person. Now, I don't know how great it is. I haven't set it up. I just know that, you know, the code's out there. This is just kind of the start. Right. And this has been well, out for a little bit. So. Yeah. And the example that they have is just uh, like Mona Lisa, where somebody is basically having their face ran by Mona Lisa. There it is, which is just crazy. The other thing that's been really interesting, give you an idea how quickly this technology is progressing, is uh, large commercial studios. Like if you look at Warner Brothers, they actually went through and had to use deep fake technology to remove. God, what's like the guy's Superman name? Thing? Superman. Yeah. Yep, they had to. Re- I can't remember his name, but they had to remove his mustache. Because he was in a Mission Impossible movie where he had a mustache, and it cost them millions of dollars to do, and it didn't look real good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had but to pull then, out reshoots and the schedule yeah. that he couldn't shave his mustache. Yeah, exactly. But in that in that time where they bu- built these servers and released the movie, the open source community and like the software you can get at home was actually processing that type of thing better than Warner Brothers was able to do for the Justice League. So yeah, this is this is rapidly accelerating as a as a whole. This sounds like it's not far off from eliminating actors so, and 
actresses from movies if we can just you know computer generate them. I mean, I've been that saying that for CGI 20 years, movies. Though. Yeah, <laughs> that's when yeah. Uh, when CG first came out. When you know when Lucas yeah. started doing all the crazy stuff with the the prequels for Star Wars. That's what everybody was saying. It's like and, and even. Uh, Jurassic Park. It's like this is going to be the end of actors, and no, it's it's not. It's just another yeah. tool in the toolbox. Well, it may be the end of some actors, right? If you look at some of the movies like Rogue One, um, and even like the the recent Star Wars movies where they were basically you know taking some older characters and then dropping them back in to it. So I, I think I agree that it's not going to completely remove actors, but I mean for something like this where you can actually have like crappy video quality may be in your favor. And if there's jitter, people are used to seeing jitter in video conferences. Oh my God, this is absolutely going to be something that we are going to have to deal with in this industry. And I don't like, aside from what Ryan was talking about, how the hell do you train someone? If you get a video (laughs) call from your boss, don't trust it. Like, you, where are we no, headed? you're going to need a safe word. You're going to have to have a safe you're word. Need a safe word. <laughs> what is our safe word? Avocado. Okay. Corporate, so, so is, this given kind of... is this the beginning of corporate safe words? As yes. As far as user <laughs> awareness <laughs> training? So, oh my God. So, so given Ralph's description of how, or Ryan, sorry. Um, Ryan's description of kind of how it generates and how you can detect like uh, fake Photoshop pictures and that kind of stuff is this something that we could maybe rather than just say like hey i know for a fact that this is a fake video could we do something like entropy and just say hey this has a really it looks like it's computer generated this looks this doesn't look like it's an actual natural thing here's the problem okay so if you're looking at a lot of different modifications images right if it's automatically trying if using steganography any type of computer generated stuff you can actually deal with entropy the problem that you run into is when you get into compression. So whenever you're dealing with a video and you're transferring data over video, or if you're trying to do modifications, like if you're going to check the entropy, what a lot of compression algorithms will do is very, very similar as far as whenever you look at the bits and bytes to what deep fakes do. So like if you're looking at compression, it's like, well, here's some blue, here's some blue. They're not quite the exact same shade, but F it. We're going to all of a sudden make all of these blues be the exact same color, and then it's going to kind of pixelate it a little bit. By that compression algorithm, making a determination as far as what colors it's going to replace instead of having the full diversity of all the color sets that you can have, collapsing that down to a smaller color palette looks exactly like computers modifying video streams on the fly because that's literally what they're doing. So being able to say, like, are you losing bandwidth or is this somebody that's like creating an avatar of your boss like a puppet? Um, That's kind of (laughs) that's a lot harder to start, you know, writing a computer program to determine the differences of it. And I know that somebody right now is like, wait a minute, I know math. And there's going to be a Usenix paper coming out next year on how to actually detect this. So let's hope that that's what we end up with sooner rather than later. So if my boss tells me that I need to work a couple extra hours, I can say <laughs> deep fake and, and say no and run away. Yeah, absolutely. 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 That's going to be the buyout now for everything. Oh, no, no. I was going to do it, but off. you're a deep fake. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to follow this. It's a deep fake. Fake work. Fake work. So, oh, so my way, God. I found the link to the video it's travis goodspeed and the usb stick that did it was face dancer for the anti-forensics oh that was the one that you were talking about right oh so naturally it's it's travis 
Where is he at these days? Because I know he was doing a lot of research and then he was doing freelance work and then he would basically just like travel and then he'd come back. I haven't seen him in a while. So I, mean, I don't know, but it's an excellent talk. You should definitely check it out. Uh, anything from Travis Goodspeed is really, really, really good. He's in that Dan Kaminsky type category for me, especially with the hardware hacking stuff. Uh, what other news stories do we have, Ryan? Any uh, special requests or just pick one? I, I got one. Yeah. Uh, how about Experian credit freeze? Anyone got that? We were. We that, that one, one. actually came go. up. And Dale, Dale wanted to talk about the Dale actually. So Dale gets to retell oh. his story. Oh, uh, I missed so, it. So I get yeah. to relive it. Oh, no, no, it's, cool, it's, cool, it. it's cool. It's cool. Go ahead, Dale. Well, it wasn't so much with Experian, but just more of the fact that with your personal information, how easily your stuff can be stolen. Like up here in Canada, we have these, you know, these COVID relief payments you can get from the government if you've been unemployed and someone managed to get into my account using the, the using just over the phone and change the bank account information and the mailing address on my account and have these payments sent to them. You know, I've been dealing with it for about six months now trying to get it cleaned up and off my account. But I know it's not directly related to Experian, but in the same sense, the, the Experian one, and you know, that their account was able to be unthawed by having by just, you know, sending in the request and it didn't even have to come from the email on the account in yeah. the article it actually says from any email address which is, is crazy and no multi-factor on these free accounts if you want to enable multi-factor you've got to you know step up to a paid account which to me seems like they might want to you know revisit that for everyone who doesn't know you can freeze your credit okay and when you do this you're essentially just preventing other people from taking out any credit even yourself okay so if you were to go in to get a loan and you try to apply, if the credit freeze is on, it'll just stop it, right? Well, the the issue at hand here is that you can unfreeze it without any validation, right? And the validation was just the email address. So just to kind of bring everyone up to speed and experience, not really known for great security. You know, in the past, they kind of like leaking this stuff out. But yeah, and I guess Krebs has actually had this happen to him before too, uh, through TransUnion, I believe as well. Where, you know, people who are persistent enough and have this information. Now, just just for context, when you do unfreeze the credit, it's not just, hey, what's your email address? We'll send you a link and now you can unfreeze your credit. You do have to enter some information, but they already have this information. That's how they stole your identity, right? That's the whole point, yeah, of this freeze. So, Like the article says, one of the examples was the last four of your social. Like, if I am trying (laughs) to take credit out under under someone's name, like, I know their social security number at that point. It it doesn't even have to be an email address on file. It says any email address. And to make things worse, it doesn't even send any email notification when the pin's been reset. So even if someone does reset it, or someone does reset the account, you don't get a notification that your pin's been reset. But thank God capitalism, you can pay experience for a special version that includes two-factor and definitely lets you know. So I knew I think there this was going to be a solution to this problem. I knew they were going to have a solution <laughs> to this. It just involved giving them more money, right? <laughs> but this gets into this weird place, right? Where you have somebody like... So you're, you're paying them to actually be secure. Yeah. But this gets into that weird place, right? Where you have like these groups like Equifax and Experian who have a tremendous amount of data, a tremendous amount of power... And like you as an individual have like no control over it, like at all. I mean, it's just, I don't know like what the answer to something like this is, right? Because experience stock hasn't been hit with this at all. There's, it's not really a problem to them. 
because Experian now knows what the bar is. They're like, well, how bad of a security issue is this? Because <laughs> it's not like all of our data was hacked and you know taken because that's bad and that we were just fine. So what's anything below a critical is not worth fixing. <laughs> yeah, so what? Right? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> The new CISO is like, you know what we need around here? More interns to blame. If we have that, we're good to go. But like, what the hell is the solution to this? You know, and I've talked in the past, a lot of paycheck processors, you can basically call and say that you're from a company and you can be like, I need to add a new employee. And they're like, okay, what's their salary? It's $250,000 a year. And here's their banking information. Thank you very much. And the organization wouldn't pick up on it for quite a while. So this is just, this that, that weird place where there's very little authentication. I think we spend so much time on patching and standard traditional hacks that we kind of miss the plot on some of these other things like deep fakes and this Experian, Experian created unfreeze. Also, it's novel for me because what the hell? Like the attackers, there's plenty of people to go after. Like what was it? Did they did they get did, did this person like make them mad? To the point where they're like, no, 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 we're not done with you yet. We're going to unfreeze your credit and continue screwing you over because there's better things we can do, but we're not going to do those. Sounds a little personal almost, right? Like, oh, you froze it? We're coming after you. Yeah, no, 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 no. Why would you do that? The pen tester version of this is when you have like a a domain admin account and another domain admin account and they lock the one domain (laughs) admin account and then you just unlock it so that you can keep using it. Oh my God. So, or I I can't remember if it was a test you were on, Rob, where it it was something like that happened and they're like, ha, we caught your account and locked it out. And you're like, well, I have 20 others over here. Do you want want to, are these ones that you want to lock out? No, I can do it. I I don't want to overburden your help desk team. We, uh, we, I was on an engagement once and we were doing that. We, we compromised a couple of machines. We had a bunch of accounts. Like we, we had like hard levels of access centers at the very end and we started compromising machines and they were, dete- they were detecting it. We're like, all right, great. Let's do some more of that and see if, you know, see you know, detection let them, works, right? Yeah. 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 Let them, let them catch this. I mean, this is the end of the engagement. And so we, we kept popping machines. It was like over and over again. And eventually it was like at two hours later, the CISO called us like, hey guys, stop. We, we can't do this anymore. The team is just, they, we uh, DDoSed them pretty much. Like they couldn't keep up with all the machines. We had compromised and they were like having to like run pounding, like grab Sally's laptop and like, you know, doing just food recon on it. So point. yeah, just it stop was, all it internet over at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was on a test where I was adding, I was asked by the CISO to add a new domain admin account so that they could see what their, you know, insert response would do. And so I added a new domain admin account and like 20, 30 minutes later, it gets deleted. Silence. No one, no one hears anything. The CISO doesn't get a report on it. Like no one, um, the next day we, we go back in and we'll, and we report to the CISO, like, did you hear anything? He's like, nope, radio silence. <laughs> so I, I add a new a domain admin account again, because yes. And he's like, all right, I want you to add four domain admins accounts. See if they say anything. And it's like, okay, sure, no problem. <laughs> I add four. 20, 30 minutes later, all of them get deleted. Nothing. <laughs> and he's like, okay, we're going to up the ante on this one, because he was on the phone with us when we did it. 
20 20 <laughs> accounts add my account to be a domain admin oh, nice no. see if they delete it and and he's like uh, i was like you sure about that that's your like computer like that's your everything account right he's like do it see if they delete it so we're actually watching this guy's screen because we have admin access on his box. So we found out who was doing it and uh-huh. we got admin on his box and we had like screen sharing turned on for his <laughs> thing. So we're watching him and he hovers over the delete button like for five minutes. <laughs> it's just pulled down and it's over the delete button and he's just sitting there. And we're on the call just hysterically bawling our eyes out because he's just sitting there doing, not doing anything. Come on, click it, click it. You know the guy's got one foot out the door ready to like, I, if I click this, I'm out of here. Yeah, he's about done. He's burnt out at that point. F change management, I've had it with these guys. That's what it sounds like. He, he so, doesn't oh do it. <laughs> but he he messages like it's a it's a sysadmin and he messages the the CISO of the company. He's like, "Did you add yourself as a domain admin?" And the CISO's like, "No." He's like, "Okay," and then doesn't do anything about it. Like doesn't report it. Doesn't <laughs> send it anywhere. Just just leaves it in there as a domain admin. And we were we were just. Dying laughing. Was his like, SOP just straight whack-a-mole? <laughs> like that's how he dealt with like this is the, this is how he dealt with stuff. Yeah, we, we had a very long conversation with him afterwards. Yeah, it's like uh, why what so one, you were catching it. Two, you were deleting it. So kind of kudos on that, but three is really important. Why? Like there's there should be some notification. Uh, we appreciate the initiative, and we need to refocus that in appropriate direction. That's, that's his whole security. His whole like security like, posture like, is just finding viruses and deleting them, and hoping no one finds out. We've all we have all seen that. Like I, I think back in the early two thousands, where you know AV was first getting started and coming up, you would you would hear. I mean, even when I was working at Accenture. We had a systems administrator that literally, as soon as an alert would pop up, he would go to the system remotely and delete the file and we had no idea why the hell he was doing it even though it was automatically deleting it most of the time and we were like how are you going to oh it just seems like it's the right thing to do and it's like we have five thousand users that's that's not something that's scalable at all Uh, oh crap we had a sysadmin once at northrop grumman in in the standard operating procedures right i think it was like the dskid 6.3 um there was a requirement in there that said that you had to review the audit logs every single day and was in his office talking with him. And he had up on his screen, the security event logs on a windows server. And he was just scrolling through them while we were talking. And I was like, what, what are you doing? Well, the D skid six, three says that I've got to review the event logs every single day. I'm like, what the hell? Like manually, he was just scrolling through them. I'm like, what are you looking for? I don't know. If something red and blinking is sticking out, like then I'll look at that. Otherwise, eh. yeah. Oh, my favorite war story though. Just not even. This is just slightly related to that. In this expression about someone's face, we put malware or not malware. Excuse me. A um, uh, ransomware, a fake ransomware on the device, and it popped a message, and we turned their camera on. Right, so we're watching them <laughs> oh, no. as they get the 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 ransomware notice, and they're like 
uh it's a, they're they're on the it team and you should it was just like that's it time man. for lunch i'm, yeah, I'm done, done. <laughs> walk away man just walk away yeah just, <laughs> he, he didn't he didn't do anything i swear to god he walked away and we we were just dying and we had their their uh their CISO was watching or like we showed them the video and it was oh my god see now way 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 back in the day you know this is like old hacker story time Right. Sorry, I didn't mean to keep driving the hole. When Back Orifice 2000 first came out, uh, one of John's monologue, grab your popcorn. Um, (laughs) Grab it. (laughs) When when Back Orifice 2000 came out, right, it was like just like this amazing backdoor. And there were websites that literally were basically videos and screen captures of people whenever you would pop up a message on their screen and then like get their facial reactions. And it was just like tons of pictures. Now, all that crap is illegal as hell, and it was not cool. It was not illegal. But seeing some of the reactions of people whenever they saw that pop-up box that said that they were compromised, and it said something like, you know, I can see your poodle in the background. So then they know for sure that they were hacked. I mean, their faces were just like that Numa Numa guy. like you know, so, <laughs> so, so popcorn away. Uh, what other stories did we have today? We've got Python. We've got... Uh, submarines, Linux, Microsoft, SAP. Oh, let's talk about the Linux. Let's talk about the Linux ARM 32-bit memory leak vulnerability. So this is a pretty cool one. Whenever we talk about like the vulnerability that we were discussing a little bit older earlier with EXIF, whenever you're looking at things like pwn to own, and I really wanted to talk about this in the in the context of like the the news. You'll hear about attackers that end up chaining multiple vulnerabilities together in order to gain access to a computer system. So you'll see vulnerabilities that come out that honestly don't seem all that interesting. Like this particular vulnerability allows you to utilize PROC, PROC and then a process ID and syscall to dump 24 bits of random memory out of a system, which honestly, once again, doesn't sound that interesting at, at the end of the day. But it actually is. And the reason why this is really interesting is if I have the ability through some type of local exploit to dump memory contents, right, opens up the possibility of me doing two different types of attacks. One of them is bypassing things like address-based layout randomization. Whenever your operating system starts with ASLR and KALSR, it randomizes where in memory different applications are. And if you can take a vulnerability like this one, and you can start mapping where these different things exist, then you can utilize another exploit that requires a return pointer to land in the proper place. Because address-based layout randomization was designed to make exploits more difficult because trying to jump to a memory location, if you jump to one that's not where you're destined to go, then you get a segmentation fault. So if you can actually map a little bit of the memory, it opens up the ability for you to jump to the appropriate location and execute properly. The other thing is if you're dumping memory, you might have the ability to actually identify whatever canary protection tokens are in place before the return pointer. So a number of operating systems will use canaries in a variety of different ways. You have null canaries, randomized canaries, XOR canaries, terminator canaries. But whenever the operating system starts, it creates a canary that it puts in front of the return pointer. And if that canary is modified, then it knows that there's some smashing of the stack happening. Well, if you can read memory out of the system, 
and you can read the canary, then you can basically on the fly format your exploit. So you're overwriting the return pointer and the proper canary as well. Um, so I really liked this particular vulnerability because it talks about how you can dump memory and by reading memory, it can be used for additional exploits down the line. So when you're looking at a lot of the uh, like pwn to own competitions, you will see attackers chaining sometimes six different vulnerabilities from dumping memory through things like format string vulnerabilities, where you can do percent %x, percent %x, percent %x, and a printf or sn printf function to dump randomized chunks of memory, and ones like this where you can actually read arbitrary memory as well. So I really like this because you know if you're watching the news and you hear about an exploit, a lot of times it's not just an exploit, but it's a whole bunch of exploits chained together to actually allow that remote code execution to fire. Yeah, I remember back in 2013, Stephen Fewer's um, submission to Pwn to Own, I actually got him to talk to him to walk down each one of them. Super lucky to be able to do so, but there were 13 exploits just to get into, I think it was Chrome on Windows at the time. Like, like just amazing work. Mm. And he said it took at least six months just to formulate the plan for it. And then even then, you know, I think another six to nine months to get all of those exploits put together. Like that is, and that's not just like, that's right. That's not, you know, after hours for an hour a day. That's like hours a day for six months kind of deal. It, 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 whenever you look at those vulnerabilities, this gets back into patching the lower risk vulnerabilities in organizations where they say, we only patch highs and criticals. Yeah. Well, a lot of those lows and maybe mediums that you may be ignoring, like memory corruption or DOS conditions, if you choose to ignore those, you choose to ignore those at your own peril because they may be utilized in another exploit chain. So just keep in mind on that. Yeah, it's a reason there the mediums and other yeah. things like that too. I mean, it's they get chained even on these internals and stuff like that. You're taking one little piece and then putting one little piece together, and and all of that you know can turn to be the entire attack chain, right? And that's not even talking about what you guys are talking about, which is these like zero days that the the Ponda own, right, where they're taking all of these zero days. But some of those weren't amazing zero days i mean they're zero days but they weren't like the one thing that they could do most people would be like oh that's like kind of okay like uh, you don't really get anything in there but when you chain so them all together john if i have there. two mediums on my machine does that equal a high or is it like is that one plus one <laughs> like does is it automatically a critical right. <laughs> if i have three lows do i it's like is this like go fish <laughs> exploitation well you know that people yeah. so <laughs> know it like when i have a vulnerable disclosure program so, because of how you guys said it like uh, they're going to ask that question yeah they're gonna go that way so usually whenever i answer that question uh generally yeah. for most vendors a critical vulnerability is a vulnerability that exists remote code execution and is actively being exploited automatically in the wild. A high vulnerability is a vulnerability that exists and exploit code exists, but it's not being actively exploited in the wild. Medium vulnerabilities are vulnerabilities that exist when in the presence of another misconfiguration or vulnerability can be exploited. So a classic vulnerability that a lot of people kind of ignore is like anonymous FTP, or you can do FTP write to certain directories. In and of itself, it won't allow you to gain access. But if I can do anonymous FTP to log directory, I can scrape out user IDs and passwords, right? If I can write to a directory and then that directory is readable by a web server, I can write a web shell and then I can exploit it. And I think 
I think the carnal ownage, if you want to get really old school, go back to some of the uh, go back to some of the original stuff that Chris Gates was doing years ago that shows how you can chain those vulnerabilities together. The thing that sucks about what I just said is everything I just said, if you're talking to an executive, it came across as like because they want to play the game of do we fix it if there's four or do we fix it if there's 16 lows? Like it's not super simple, right? It's it's only a high if you exploited it. Yeah, it's only a high if it's, you exploited it. That's why it, they right? call it not vulnerability <laughs> management, but vulnerability analysis. If you if you do vulnerability management, I, oh, if you do vulnerability right. management, yep. then all you're doing is managing the number of criticals, highs, mediums, lows. If you do vulnerability analysis, when you actually have people looking at it, instead of just issuing reports out to whoever the app owners are, right, then you are actually doing yep. it right. Like that's the difference. And it, it sucks so bad because I think that all of us have been on engagements where you find a vulnerability that's a medium or a low, and then you exploit it. And when you go to management, you're like, hey, this, this right here was a low, but we were able to exploit it. And they're like, well, we're not going to patch it. Why? Because it's a low. And our policy is we don't, we don't fix lows. I'm like, but I was able to exploit it and gain access to your environment. Yeah, we know, but it's low. So we don't fix it. It's like, what the literal hell? Um, it's, that, that happens. So oh, we have an update to this report. It is now a high. <laughs> yeah, it is now a high. Here, can I get access to your, can I get access to your Nessus scanner? Okay. Do that on the reports, but then they argue yeah. with you. We actually had a customer. We went into their Nessus scanner because we were using their scanner and then basically went into that specific plugin ID, changed it from a low to a high, reran the scan, gave it to them, then they fixed it. So what you're saying is I need to change all of the findings to highs. You got to hack the security tool to fix it. All of them to high. Every one of them. Watch. Just things are going to get fixed, right? That's how things work, right? So, Uh. I mean, so... The 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 other problem this with vulnerability management only is that has highs it, in it. <laughs> like you have to you expect that the vulnerability management team, like the the companies that do that do the research and do you know put in the checks and all that kind of stuff, have a good sense of what level it's at, right? And and what what the vulnerability exists, and they can only do so much. They don't know what your network looks like. But sometimes I have to question some of these companies because like. If there's a PHP plugin that has a, you know, an exploit that only works if you have 17 things trained together to, you know, and differences in this configuration and that configuration, and it's a critical because it's RCE, that's when I get on my soapbox and start yelling at the sky is because like you're having companies patch a PHP vulnerability that is 100% not vulnerable in their network because they don't have this, you know, crazy configuration. And and they're and the app owners are getting pissed off because they're like, this doesn't affect me. And the vulnerability management team's like, it scans, it shows up as vulnerable because you have PHP version one dot two dot three, and the app owners are like, uh, it's not vulnerable, and we don't run that. And you know, and back and forth, and just getting that animosity between the two, right? So how do we how do we get the industry to to, you just change the to, to stop load. having fix idiotic you know vulnerabilities that don't apply you know to 90 percent of everyone who runs the tool or software i think that's why so many vulnerability management tools are trying so hard to come up with automated vulnerability prioritization even though i think it's garbage right at the end of the day that your precious snowflake organization has got to come up with its own management 
yeah. approach, right? But we want these magical tools. We want Tenable. We want Rapid7. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do, right? And they don't understand that it's complicated <laughs> and it's hard. And it, it, they're just like, well, it would be a lot easier if it just went through and fixed everything for us. And we're not going to have that anytime soon at all. So I guess, Rob, what I'm going to say we is need I think we should all be happy because that's job security. <laughs> no, I would love not to have a job. I'd love to find <laughs> another job. Oh, my God. That's... Right. OK, before we close off, what would be your job? <laughs> if, what would if you cybersecurity do was if you weren't doing if, if, if cybersecurity was solved? And, oh, and all the marketing of Silence and CrowdStrike okay. and Palo Alto was true tomorrow, no, right? If all of a sudden they did everything that they were going to do, oh, what would you what would you do? So Rob, I would absolutely be a state park ranger in an instant. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! That's such a good one. Whenever I'm hiking through like the backcountry and you see that park ranger that's like walking around, they're like, "What do you do?" He's like, "I just walk around here, help people out, and set up my hammock and sleep under the stars." Like, You're right? my hero. Ooh, Best job one. ever. Yeah, it's so good. Best <laughs> job ever. Dale, you. Uh, I'd be a limousine driver. I can see that. You limousine Absolutely. driver. I like that. Wouldn't be boring at all. One of those big, huge, long ones. Oh, God, that'd be cool. <laughs> all right, Noah. Oh, it would totally be like private jet pilot. That would, that would totally be it. Yeah, there you go. Kind of similar to Dale's. Setting your sights a little bit higher. All right, so Ralph. Crypto mining. <laughs> Do you really have to yeah. add? <laughs> honestly, honestly, I wouldn't mind just fishing every day. You know, I'm not very good at it, but it's very relaxing. There you go. Uh, Jeff. I'd beta test minesweeper upgrades. There you go. Beta test minesweeper upgrades. Wow. All right, Ryan. I, 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 I know it's a little bit easier for you, but if, if you had to do something else and money wasn't an issue, what would it be? Oh, geez. It's something with, with automotives, for sure. Okay. And you go racing. There you go. Racing. I follow Chris Brenton. <laughs> Have him giving me lessons. There, oh, my God. <laughs> there you go. That would be a good gig. I would, um, I would become heavy, a heavy machinery operator, like backhoes and skid steers and things like that. I absolutely love that. So, so that's For the most that's part, we would just one. all drive different things, it sounds like. Yeah. I think I think that that's a consistent theme, right? We like being somewhat in control of like what happens here, so it's kind of crazy. In control of very chaotic environments. Uh, that is funny. That is funny. We all picked a different thing to try. Yep. All right, everybody, let's wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining, everybody, and for those of you that watch live, we greatly appreciate it. And we will see you, I think, this Wednesday. Take care, everybody.